1948, just a few days before Christmas, a Washington, D.C. radio station called round various embassies in the capital. They wanted to know what the various countries' representatives wanted for Christmas. So Oliver Franks was the British ambassador, and he was slightly taken aback by this phone call. He didn't really want to appear showy on the radio, so after some thought, he gave a very careful reply. Well, on Christmas Day itself, the station broadcast its feature entitled, What the World Wants for Christmas. The French ambassador wished for peace on earth. The Russian ambassador wished for freedom for all people. And the British ambassador wished for a box of dried fruit. <laughs> now, I don't know what your hopes are for this Christmas time. Some of us, we, we set our expectations ridiculously high, don't we? We're all dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones we used to know. Uh, we're wishing for a Christmas lunch to, to rival the one we see on Waitrose adverts. Or maybe we're, we're hoping our family make use of our Amazon wish list instead of trying to show initiative. <laughs> but others of us, perhaps like uh, Sir Oliver, we, um, we set our expectations for Christmas pessimistically low. We know our kids are going to be very irritating. We know that we're going to fall out with our in-laws. And we know that one significant key element to Christmas will go horribly wrong. Uh, I read the story last year of a family who, who ordered a, a massive Christmas ham for their lunch, only for their delivery man to replace it with a giant block of tofu. What a crushing disappointment that must have been. Well, over the next few moments, I'd like to help us all to recalibrate our expectations. Over the course of this evening, we've heard a number of Old Testament readings, all of which clearly set very high expectations for the first Christmas. And that's because they all had very high expectations of the Christ. Now, I expect that here tonight there'll be a variety of different views, different expectations about Jesus. Some of us will be quite honest and, and say we have no expectations of him whatsoever. We might like the carols, we might like the festivity, but we consider Jesus to be a fairy tale, a bit like Father Christmas. He's nice, but nonsense. Other of us, perhaps, would say we have pretty low expectations of Jesus. Maybe we grew up in and around churches, but as adults we've come to consider Jesus as more of a an optional lifestyle extra. Nice, but not necessary. I think still some of us, we might have somewhat misguided expectations about Jesus. Thinking that perhaps he came to offer us health and wealth and happiness, but only for the people who can meet his standards. Nice, but not for me. Well, whoever you are, I think it might come as a surprise to us all to discover that the first Christmas began with incredibly low expectations indeed. From our fifth reading in Matthew's Gospel earlier on, we met a man called Joseph. He's an obscure descendant of King David, and he's just discovered that his bride-to-be is pregnant and not by him. Now, in, in that culture back then, a baby born outside of marriage would have meant death for her and a life of shame for him. 
So you can imagine Joseph, he wasn't looking forward to this first Christmas at all. In fact, he tries to arrange a quick and quiet divorce. But just when he makes up his mind to do this, God intervenes. God sends him a message about the child which is about to be born. You see, just like us, Joseph needs to have his expectations recalibrated. And I'd love to show you this in detail. On, on the, in the box on the, on, on the back of your service sheet, on the last page there, you'll see uh, that message which Joseph was given. And this is what we're going to focus on. And I'd love for you to, to look at this with me. This is what God's messenger, the angel, tells Joseph. It says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. There are two ways in which this verse calls us to adjust our expectations this Christmas. Firstly, we should expect a saviour from sin. Now this would have surprised Joseph. Like us, he probably wouldn't have put sin at the very top of his wish list of of felt needs. He wanted a saviour out of this horrible, scandalous situation he found himself in. He might have wanted a saviour from the Romans who are occupying his country. But instead, he's promised a saviour from sin. So like him, we might be wondering, why do we need that? Why do we need a saviour from sin? Well, no doubt, you've probably got your Christmas trees up already. And and underneath, unlike us, you'll probably have lots and lots of Christmas presents, all nicely, neatly wrapped up, nestled there, ready to be opened on Christmas morning. But imagine you're there, you're on Christmas morning, your friends and family are all there, But without a word of thanks, they snatch your gifts out of your hand, tear them open, and then promptly and completely blank you for the rest of the day. They freeze you out of conversation over Christmas lunch. They don't even include you in the obligatory game of charades. Now, how would you feel? I think something like that could could cause serious harm to even the most secure and loving families. And yet this is how we've each treated our creator God. We've taken our lives, our homes, our families, our jobs, our hobbies, our world. We we love the gifts, but we don't want the giver. And friends, this is sin. It's not just the naughty things we sometimes do. It's the the inclination we, we all have to live our lives, our way, without him. It's that innate selfish desire to put our wants and needs before others. So so sin is the thing which brings us into conflict with one another. Sin is what results in family breakdown and isolation. But worst of all, sin is what separates us from our loving creator. You see, if God thought that our greatest need was political stability... He would have sent us a politician. If God thought our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian. If God thought our greatest need was our health, he would have given us a doctor. But in his infinite wisdom, God looked down and saw that our greatest need was our sin. And so he sent us a saviour. I don't know how this verse sits with you. 
Some of us, we might not like the idea that we need to be saved. Can't we just, um, I don't know, try a bit harder? Can't we just pull up our moral socks a bit, be a bit more pious, be a bit more charitable? Won't that work? Or the story is told of a little boy who once sat down to write his Christmas letter, but his parents are Christians, and so they encouraged him to write to Jesus instead of Father Christmas. The little boy sat down to write his letter. Dear Jesus, I've been good for the whole year. Please give me a bicycle for Christmas. Then he thought for a moment, and he realized actually he hasn't been good for an entire year, so he screwed up that letter and started again. Dear Jesus, I've been good for an entire month. Please give me a bicycle for Christmas. That actually hasn't been good for a whole month. Screw up that letter, throw it away, start again. Dear Jesus, I've been good for a whole week. Please give me a bicycle for Christmas. But at any rate, I haven't been good for a whole week. I haven't even been good for a, for a day. I punched my sister earlier on. But in that moment, out of the corner of his eye, he, he spotted a, a nativity scene. His family always put it up at Christmas time. It was always in the corner of the room. There was uh, baby Jesus. There were the shepherds. There were the wise men. And there was Mary and Joseph. And the little boy went over to the nativity scene and picked up Mary and put her in his pocket. He then began to write, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... <laughs> So often this is the way that people think salvation works. That we somehow need to bribe or coerce God into giving it to us. That we've got to somehow hold him to ransom using our morality or our charity or our piety. But ask yourself, who of us gives gifts in exchange for payment? Which of your kids on Sunday morning, having unwrapped their gifts in excitement, then turn to you and ask, how much is this going to cost me? Gifts are free. They're always free. And so salvation is free for anyone who would simply accept it. But of course, the freeness of the gift doesn't mean that the gift wasn't paid for at great expense. I know a family friend down in Wimbledon, and each year they like to design their own Christmas cards in one of these nauseating these talented families and got too much time on their hands. And uh, one year they designed their, their own Christmas card. It was just a, a row upon row of mince pies. Mince pies, mince pies, mince pies. All along the front of the Christmas card, festively decorated mince pies, mince pies, mince pies. But then smack bang in the middle of the mince pies was a hot cross bun. It's a cryptic message, but they're trying to say that Christmas only really makes sense with Easter. Jesus was born in order to die. And he died, according to this verse, to save his people from their sins. So the first way we need to adjust our expectations this Christmas is that we should expect a saviour from sin. But secondly, we should also expect God himself. And this is the thing which would really have shocked Joseph when he heard this message. I doubt many of us would have picked this up as, as we read it. It's easy to miss this point. Look, look at it again with me, if you would. The angel says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now you might know that the name Jesus was actually pretty common back then. It's simply a variant of Joshua or Isaiah. It, it means God saves. But with that in mind, we 
we expect the verse to read, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because God will save his people from his sins. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Do you get this? That the reason Jesus can save is because Jesus is God. In fact, if we had time, we could look at the next few verses where he is given the title Emmanuel, God with us. At Christmas, we're told to expect a saviour from sin, but also God himself. I read the story recently of a, a young boy in Kenya who wanted to give a Christmas gift to his school teacher. He was from a, a, quite a poor family, so he couldn't afford much, but he had a good idea. And one day after school, he, he bounced up to his teacher with a massive beaming smile on his face, and he, in his hands he had a, a handkerchief neatly wrapped up. It was clean. And uh, he presented it to his teacher with a big smile, and his teacher took it off him and carefully unwrapped it. And inside were four beautiful seashells, the sort of type which on the inside was slightly opalescent. It caught that light in the room. They were stunning. But then she thought for a moment and said, said to the boy, how did you get these? The nearest beach is a good ten miles away. How did you get these? But the boy just smiled at her. Yes, I walked there. The walk is part of the gift. Some parents, they give ridiculously expensive gifts to their parents, perhaps out of guilt for not really being around. But God isn't like that. God isn't like that. He doesn't just post us salvation from afar. No, at Christmas, God gives us himself. The walk is part of the gift. And reading on into Matthew's Gospel, we see how Jesus walked. Though he was an incredible teacher, he displayed the most beautiful humility. Though himself without sin, he loved spending time with broken sinners. Though incredibly powerful, he used that power not to serve himself, but others. He made the blind see, he made the paralyzed walk, he raised the dead to life. He proved that he is Emmanuel, God with us. See, if you've never read one of these uh, eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, we've got a few on the desks on the way out. Let me commend them to you. Because here you will find a man you want to be with. A saviour you want to follow. A God worthy of your affection. You see, whatever our expectations this Christmas, I'd wager that each of us has set them far far too low because in Christ we're told to expect a saviour from sin in Christ we meet God himself what this means is if you make your Christmas about anything else no I'll go further than that if, if, you, make, if you make your life about anything else no matter how good those things might be well, your expectations will always fall short. You'll be left disappointed because, friends, we've been made for so much more. I came across an article recently. It's a true story about a postman who lives in London. 
Very tragically, he, he lost his wife in a car accident just a, a few weeks uh, leading up to Christmas last year. So to take his mind off the, off, off the grieving, he took on a lot of overtime. He worked at a Mount Pleasant sorting office, you know, the one near King's Cross. And his job there was simply to sort through the, um, the lost mail, which is, there was a lot of leading up to Christmas. But as he was going about his job, he, he noticed one letter in particular. It sort of caught his eye. He recognized the handwriting. And then he looked to the top, and as he opened it up, he saw it was his address. And he looked down to the bottom, and he, he, it was his, his only daughter, Emma, who had written it. This is what the letter read. Dear Santa... My mummy died two months ago, and since then, Daddy has been crying every single night. Last night, I overheard him say, only eternity will heal me now. So please, would you send a little bit of eternity to Daddy this Christmas? Love, Emma. See, at Christmas, God doesn't just send us a little bit of eternity He sends us all of it because he sends us himself. And those who put their trust in Jesus are not only saved from their sin, they are made secure with him for all eternity. It's an eternity without sin, without suffering, without loss. That's the salvation which we have been invited to enjoy. So I guess the question is, whether this offer of salvation is really for me. Is it really for you? Because notice from this verse, Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. But here's the great news. Anyone can join his people. Anyone. Anyone who recognizes their need for a savior. Anyone who sees that Only Jesus can meet their expectations for life and going on into death. So as I close, may I ask, do you want to be one of Jesus' people? We are four suggestions, things you might want to do, given our various different points. It might be you want to take a book away. On the back on your way out, perhaps, we've got a free gift for you. It's a book explaining a little bit more about what Christmas is about and how you might become uh, a follower of Jesus, that, that's free, and it's a great read, so I encourage you uh, to take that away. But it might be you've got big questions and you, and you want to investigate a bit further. We might see we're running this course next term on the inside of your sheet. You'll see it's called Life Explored. And it's really for anyone who has big questions about life, the universe, and everything else. We all have questions like that. And so why not discover the meaning of life with others and find out a bit more about Jesus at the same time? Uh, why not chat with me if that's of interest or maybe you want to fill up a card uh, on the back uh, so we have your details. But if you came with a friend tonight, what I really encourage you to do is ask them something. Would you have the boldness to ask them what it is that made them want to become one of Jesus' people? And perhaps if your friend uh, doesn't ask you that, maybe you'll offer up your story anyway uh, over mince pies and mulled wine later on. But I imagine in a a gathering like this, there'll be some here tonight, perhaps just one or two, who feel that, yes, tonight is the night to become one of Jesus' people. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer um, where we can all acknowledge him as our God, 
where we can ask for forgiveness for our sin and where we can accept that salvation he won for us as he died at Easter time. And it might be in the quietness of your own heart, you might wish to echo my prayer in your own hearts and, and to put your own amen at the end. And if you pray that prayer, please come and chat with me afterwards. I'd love to come meet you. I'd love to explain a little bit more. So please don't do come and grab me afterwards. But let us, uh, let us pray together. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that at Christmas time, you not only sent us a saviour, you sent us your very self. We acknowledge Jesus as our King and as our God. We ask for forgiveness for our sin, for our selfishness, for turning away from you. Help us to accept this salvation that he has won for us at great cost at the cross. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to close, we're going to stand and sing our final carol of the Son of Righteousness who comes to bring salvation to us all. Let us stand and sing.